Welcome to ETF Working Lunch, an ETF.com podcast in partnership with Women in ETFs. We get together with some of the smartest women in this business and we talk shop. I'm Cynthia Murphy, and today I am chatting with two amazing trailblazers, Gabriela Herculano, also known as Gabby, and Shaila Lika, also known as Shaila. <laughs> they are the co-founders of iClimate Earth, a firm that's redefining ESG investing. So I'm really excited to welcome you ladies to the show. Thank you for having us. So let's dive right in. I mean, there's so much we can talk about today when it comes to ESG, when it comes to how iClimate is really advancing the conversation. So let's start by setting the stage a little bit. Shaila, tell us you know, a little bit about iClima, what you two have built together and this passion for ESG driving it. Sure, happy to. And thank you so much, Cynthia, for having us here. We're delighted to speak to you um, and the audience today. So Gabby and I came together at the end of 2019, along with our third co-founder, because we saw a gap in the market when it came to climate investing. You know, we knew there was a real interest from investors to invest in the space, which was great. But we'd heard about all these claims of greenwashing. We knew there are a lot of funds that use ESG metrics and scorecards, which are often black boxes with conflicting scores or often, you know, there are narrow approaches. And we thought we could do something that would really fill that void. And we go about doing that in two main ways. The first is we have a quantifiable metric we use. That's potential avoided emissions. And that's because we believe the best way to make an impact and reduce emissions in the planet is by not emitting in the first place. So we have a quantifiable metric that we measure and we do that for all the companies in our fund as well as our whole portfolio. And the second thing that we think makes us unique and we're really excited about this is we're shifting the narrative. A lot of funds out there are looking at those companies doing less harm, reducing their footprints. But we're going a step further. We're looking for the solution providers, the ones enabling this seismic shift to a greener economy that we're all witnessing. And that's important because they're not only the ones that are going to make the greatest impact, which we care about very much, but they're the ones poised for massive growth, significant growth in the coming years as this as the world shifts. And so, you know, quickly on our background, Gabby and I went to business school together in the early 2000s. We were both at Wharton a couple of years apart. We have a deeply analytical background. We did renewable energy investing in London, across Europe, at GE Capital. So we bring that sort of analytical and very quantitative approach to what we've set up here. And, you know, we're, we're very excited with uh, our recent launch of both CLMA and Shift in the U.S. And, and we're very excited to see how they're going to progress. Yeah. So, so before we really talk about this, this focus on the, you know, avoidance as the path to sustainability, which I think is a fascinating way to think about ESG. Let's talk a little bit about your ETFs. We touched base when you first launched your funds. And I really loved the idea when we talked about iClima being an ESG firm, but also a disruptor. So let's talk a little bit about how you're delivering on both of these themes. Do you want to take that on, Gabby? Yeah, I would love to, Cynthia. Thank you so much again for having us. Yeah, so I think um, the name of, of our funds are quite a, a mouthful, but I think it represents what we're doing in detail. So CLMA is the Global Decarbonization Transition Leaders, and SHIFT is our Distributed Renewable Energy Transition Leaders, and we really think they're both both quite unique. 
And it is what you said, Cynthia, we're combining converging ESG and that disruption. So the methodology that we put in place, which is rules-based and data-driven, it reflects that concept that Shala um, introduced to you, right? Best way to reduce carbon in the atmosphere is by not emitting in the first place. And that is very profound, that notion that we can move away from business as usual. The products and services that are very much based on fossil fuel, high emission, right? So if you think about our needs for transportation, to eat, to communicate, to go from point A to point B, electricity, all of that, we can replace these products and services with alternatives, right? So that delta between the business as usual. So let's take, for example, a car ride from point A to point B. If you do that with an internal combustion engine, comes with a lot of emissions. And then if you choose to do that same journey, but with a Tesla, you're avoiding emissions with that. And that delta is that potential avoided emissions, which is our key metric, which is a tangible metric. Unlike ESGs that for a variety of reasons became a very strong concept and the acronym became a household acronym, which is great, but it is very much still a black box. So we wanted to use that tangible metric. So the rules based and the data-driven the methodology that we put in place allow us to identify these companies that are problem-solving. They are problem-solving the biggest problem of our lifetime, which is mitigating climate change. And that is the disruption, that shift from our fossil fuel intensive uh, way of living to a much more sustainable one is this transition. But the way we see transition, and Cynthia and I, were, we both grew up in Brazil, and I think that that's my um, Latin background. I like sometimes to be dramatic, but we refer to this as a seismic shift. And, and it sounds dramatic, but it, it's very much what we are connecting the dots and seeing that the planet by 2030 is going to be a very different one. We're going to solve the problem of renewable energy intermittence. We're going to be using electric vehicles in a completely different way. They're not going to be cars the way we know them. They will be computerized power plants on wheels with ability for us to use that mobile storage inside the electric vehicles to stabilize the grid. That's called vehicles to grid. Plant-based diet or telepresence with um, COVID Zoom became also a very, you know, uh, known name and brand. And that is allowing us to change the way we go about doing business. So you put all of this together and we'll see a, a very drastic disruption across different industries and, and a very profound movement towards these low carbon solutions. And that's what we're representing with our two ETFs. And, and like you said, and I think you nailed it in the head, that convergence of ESG and disruption is very interesting and exciting. The hypothesis was that the portfolios were going to perform very, very well, which is what we observed last year. But it's a story that was missing, like Shaila said. The ETFs were not representing this very impactful from a decarbonization perspective, but also very exciting story of disruption. So, Shaila, before I go back to you, because I want to go back to the consideration about avoidance, Gabby, let's talk a little bit more about the idea of the tangible metrics, which is why I think this conversation is so interesting, is, it, is what we hear a lot. Everybody's talking about ESG. Everybody's trying to figure out the right solution. 
you know, advisors are having these conversations with their clients every day. What's the right ESG ETF? What do you give up? What don't you give up? And because there's no universal standard on how to really measure the ESG theme, there's a lot of room for confusion. And what I think is really interesting on what iClima is doing is just this focus on the carbon footprint period. So from your perspective, is the carbon footprint the most important part of this whole ESG conversation? You know, is there something that's unique about this in terms of risk and return? Or is this truly just about, you know, kind of impact investing where your dollar is going to make most difference in the environment? Or there's really like an investment thesis behind focusing just on this part of the conversation? That's a great question, Cynthia. We think that by identifying what drives innovation and problem solving, right, mitigating climate change, by identifying that key metric, which is that potential avoided emissions, right, the ability to move us away from business as usual, a ability to serve our needs for products and services with a low carbon or zero emission solution, that is what allows us to identify innovation and disruption and then growth, you know, strong CAGRs and potential margins, right? Is that laser focus on avoidance, right? Um, so what moves us away from the business as usual? So what we did, uh, you know, we did engage with, uh, you know, two years ago with all the data providers out there, we enter into non-disclosure agreements, and we had very interesting conversations with all the key players, Sustainalytics, MSCI, FTSE, S&P, True Cost, Arabesque, Clarity, all of them to understand Shala comes, you know, from from that industry after uh, we worked together at G Capital. She was at Fitch working on their ESG fixed income, and, and she she had uh, some comments and reservations in terms of ESG still being a black box and lacking that consensus on approach. But nonetheless, we felt like we had to do that. So we entered into these discussions with all the data providers, and we asked always the same things. Walk us through Tesla. And we saw that there was no consensus. Different providers would, would be 180 degrees from others. And we asked them, you know, can you show us the companies with that green revenue potential? And other than one, none of them had that ability. And then we also asked, you know, can you identify the companies that move us away from the business as usual? Other than one provider that has what they refer to as a Delta Tracker and the cooling ability, none of them were looking ahead. None of them were looking at the stage metrics and all of them wanted to us to use scorecards and we said no that's not what we're going to do so we rolled up our sleeves and we said let's do this ourselves so so we looked for that data so we triangulate three key metrics green revenue pretty much as defined by EU taxonomy with some additional insights um, as we looked at the solutions that Project Drawdown identified as the 100 technologies that could be scaled up to bring the planet to carbon neutrality with that list of what in Europe we call the EU taxonomy. So that's our green revenue, the companies that have products and services with that environmental impact potential. So we triangulated that with that concept of potential avoided emissions that we quantified for each company in our universe. Again, the whole industry is still very much focusing on scope one and two, quantifying the carbon footprint of companies so that we can see who is going to be doing less harm. And we don't want less harm. We want to focus on the innovation, on the impact, on the companies where decarbonization is in line with their revenue, is not a cost line item, as it is for the companies doing less harm. So this triangulation of potential avoided emissions with green revenue, and then 
we did need to look at brown revenue. So all the association with fossil fuel, not all companies are Tesla's 100% green revenue. Some companies like Schneider Electric are in our eyes on the right side of, of that shift and that change. And they do a lot of very interesting products across different solutions. And they have predominantly green revenues and very little contamination, which is the way we refer to the brown revenue. So, so Cynthia, we did that. We quantified in, in cases I had to estimate the green revenue, the brown revenue, and the potential avoided emissions. And two years later, we still see that the data providers are not yet focusing on this very relevant, tangible metrics that if you want to look at what we think is the most important story of our lifetime, which is that mitigation of climate change, are, in our view, the key metrics for us to all be looking at and quantifying and discussing um, so that we can identify the companies that are driving and problem-solving climate change mitigation. Well, and what's interesting that that links directly to, you know, the whole avoidance conversation. Shall you guys talk about really investing not as much on the ESG doers, if you will, but in those that are enabling the doers. So talk to me about this distinction and why that's so important in truly, truly accessing you know, ESG investing that's meaningful. Absolutely. And it's as Gabby said, so there's a real distinction in our minds with what is currently out there. And it is very much an exercise of looking at the carbon footprints. And that's very much backwards looking. That's how we see it. it it's important. It's laudable. You're looking at individual companies and how they can reduce their all emissions. That's been done. What we think is far more exciting, as Gabby was talking about, when we look at potential avoided emissions, it's forward looking. It's not just companies reducing their own carbon footprint. It's the enablers, the solution providers that are allowing those companies and those consumers to be able to reduce their emissions. And it's exciting for many reasons. One is first, because these are the companies that are poised for growth. These are the companies whose solutions are going to be scaled up massively in the coming years, because these are the solutions we all need as we're shifting to a green economy. So it's very important in a commercial perspective Perspective. But Gabby and I were also very excited because this is where we feel the real impact will come from. Um, these are the companies that are going to really help us problem solve and reduce emissions on our planet. Our first fund, the CLMA ticker, it's a very comprehensive fund. So we have 163 constituents currently, and it's equally weighted at every rebalancing. And if you look across it, there are 27 different subsectors, and each one of those provides a different type of solution that will help us bring that bring our world to carbon neutrality. And all of those are the solutions that need to be scaled up. And we're going to be seeing, seeing them actually being scaled up in the coming years. As Gabby mentioned, you know, the last year has witnessed that growth in, in the underlying companies because these are the solutions that the world needs. So, again, CLMA, very comprehensive. It provides broad exposure, equally weighted. It's forward looking. You know, the, the carbon footprint reductions, the backward looking, the ESG scorecards, that's all been done. But this is a very new approach and we think a very exciting approach because it'll make the greatest impact, but also lead to the greatest returns. So to talk about just the big picture opportunity, I mean, you're both based in London. So, you know, you have a different perspective, perhaps from a more global perspective. In the US, we, you know, we think that we're behind, especially relative to Europe when it comes to ESG investing. And so I just would love to to pick your brain from your perspective. How do you see really the difference? Anything stands out to you in terms of 
the opportunity in terms of building market for these ETFs or advisor usage and investor usage of these ETFs or how the conversation in the U.S. is evolving around ESG relative to Europe and the rest of the world. Anything that stands out there in that comparison that could help inform where we go next to, you know, here in the U.S.? What we are observing is that ESG is broadening, right? And the U.S. with the new administration, I think we're seeing a lot of momentum behind behind that. It's not universal just yet. We have licensed our benchmark to two players in Asia. And uh, I think that the Chinese market is, is much more focused on innovation and that tech aspect of clean tech energy in particular, but not embracing ESG. So it's not quite yet universal. But I think with this broadening of use of ESG, I think what we're seeing is that investors are are learning very, very fast and, and becoming very, I think, selective in looking through the different investments opportunities and the different funds and asking very, you know, pertinent questions and very uh, detailed questions. And, you know, starting from how do you negative screen companies and what is your methodology for that to, you know, are you a holistic ESG approach? In our case, we definitely lead with E, right? Environmental on our tangible metrics, but we do have a holistic approach. And then we talk about that in more detail to then the, the third point that we get asked a lot more and more, which is that idea of your impact. What is your what is your purpose? What is your metric? And how do you quantify that impact? And that's music to our ears, Cynthia, because that's where we think we stand out, because we think our methodology is, is, is robust and is unique, and we're very open about it. And we like that, because we think that part of what we're doing and part of the, our personal motivations, and Shan and I are very much aligning that, is, is to shift that narrative is to focus on on a different approach and, and raise our hands and say, look, we can use tangible metrics. And this is very important because then we're really focusing on what really matters from that climate change mitigation perspective. And I think that one comment that we have observed in our recent experience dealing with the U.S. is that it's still quite political, unfortunately, that debate. Um, when you talk to institutional investors, you don't quite feel that way because it's almost a natural selection. If they're talking to us, it's because they're already looking for ways to portfolio like ours in, in, in their own portfolios, right? But we have evidence that it's still a very political point. But our answer to that is that when you look through these 27 subsectors, the solutions make economic sense, right? We have achieved parity between fossil fuel-based energy and renewable energy, internal combustion engine cars and electric vehicles. It's going to happen in the next months, 18 to 24 months is going to happen. It is happening. And let's be honest, electric vehicles are just a higher user experience. Plant-based diet is better for your health. So, so the solutions are competitive in terms of price, and then they have a lot of positive externalities. And yes, they do decarbonize as well. So that's why we see that ultimately, this broadening of ESG from our perspective, and we care a great deal about that climate change aspect of it, is robust, is here to stay, and allows us to identify and focus on the companies that are really doing remarkable development of, of of new solutions. And, and these solutions are benefiting from a lot of tailwind from different directions. They make economic sense. They are robust in terms of user experience. And, and yes, they do decarbonize. So with that, we are very bullish on this 
process um, of broadening the horizon and, and seeing investors be very uh, diligent and very focused and demanding differentiation and segmentation and that uh, we as ETF managers and ETF sponsors that were very precise about what we're bringing to market and why we think that this is relevant from that ESG perspective. Yes. Yeah, no, that's, it's, a, it's a fascinating distinction really to think about just the institutional nature of the European market versus the more retail nature of the U.S. market and how politics still plays such a big role in the whole conversation here about sustainability and ESG investing. Um, hearing from somebody on the outside, it's it's makes total sense. And we I don't think we even fully realize that on the day to day. We're talking about, you know, from the numbers and sense, but it's uh, there's this whole political side of it that people get hung up on. But before we wrap up, I wanted to shift gears a little bit and just ask one of the things that iClima and the two of you have, have made a lot of headlines on since you've came onto the scene, if you will, is just this buzz about iClima being a women-led business. So I'm just curious, you know, is that recognition really meaningful to you personally? Do you think it's meaningful from a business perspective? Is that something you are excited about making sure everybody takes note? Is it just super, super really cool, which it is? I mean, how do you feel about this focus on I climb up being a women-led business. I can start with that, Cynthia. I think it's great. I mean, um, it, it's true. Um, Gabby and I go way back, and we have a very strong alignment on how we see the world, our analytical approach, our desire to create impact without compromising returns, um, which is really important to us. But the fact that, you know, we are women-led, you know, I, I think it's great. The truth is, I think diversity in any way is great. You know, just having a broad set of um, ways of looking at the world, of, of people with their um, outlooks, um, bringing products to market. So I celebrate that. And I love the fact that people have picked up on that and that it's being celebrated, um, you know, by others as well. We've certainly felt a lot of support from all our partners and we have some great partners. Um, you know, the people that we have created in partnership are ETFs in Europe, the ones in the U.S., um, people that we've been licensing our ETFs to, as Gabby says, and, and a host of other ones. And everyone has, you know, commented on the fact that we are a women-led business and they've supported that. And we just, we love that. So I welcome it very much. I think we're in great company, Cynthia, you know, in the sustainability and ESG and climate change um, space, we have, for example, Marisa Drew, who also went to Wharton. She's class of 92. She's global head of sustainability for Credit Suisse. And she's kind of like a mentor and a supporter of what we're doing. Barbara Buchner, who gave me a phenomenal interview last year. She's global head of CPI, doing incredible work uh, quantifying investments, both towards mitigation and adaptation. And then, of course, you know, in the ETF space, I mean, Kathy Wood is a Legend, right? So we're in, in great company. And um, I just wanted to share something that I think maybe you'll, you'll find very interesting. Shaila and I, last year, we um, spent Christmas break reading this book that was written by one of our professors at Wharton. It's called 2030, How Today's Biggest Trends Will Collide and Reshape the Future of Everything. So one of his predictions is that by 2030, so in the next 10 years, so right around the corner, half of the wealth on the planet will be in the hands of women. For a variety of demographic reasons, 
that's going to happen. And that's profound, right? So half, uh, we're going, you know, moving from kind of single digits uh, as of now to being owners of half of the wealth. And then we extrapolate that conclusion to say, well, you know, that's going to change the way asset management, you know, is is done because we do have a different focus. We care a great deal about sustainability. We care a great deal about doing things the right way. So we think that, that again, is part of that broadening of ESG has to do with that, with women not only owning more of that wealth, but managing it as well. So we're, we're here to stay, Cynthia. <laughs> <laughs> well, not to fangirl over you too, but it's so inspiring what you two have built. And uh, it's really cool just to see how even on something relatively new like ESG, you can come in and already disrupt the status quo. So congrats on, on coming into the space. And I can't wait to see where you go to next. Thank you so much. Thank you. So ladies, it's been a pleasure, but we'll have to leave it at there. Let me thank you again for coming on the show and sharing your insights and your experience today. Thank you for having us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Cynthia. For more episodes or more information about this podcast, please check out ETF.com. If you'd like to learn more about women in ETFs and how to get involved with that organization, check out womeninetfs.com. On behalf of the ETF.com team, thank you so much for joining us today, and we will catch you next time. <music>